Welcome to the Professional Brewers Podcast, sponsored by Grenfell Meadery and hosted by me, Ricky the Mead Maker. This show is for brewers of all kinds, anyone looking to get into brewing professionally, folks who want to peek behind the scenes at their favorite brewery, or merely the brew curious. Whether you're an old hand in the industry or you're just starting your professional brewing journey, we hope this show helps you become a better, more profitable, happier brewer. If you find this show helpful or just enjoy listening to my dulcet tones, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash professional brewers podcast. There's also exclusive content over there as well as the opportunity to ask questions of upcoming guests. On this week's show, I talked to David Dolgano, one of the co-founders of Shaxbury Cider in Virgins, Vermont. David is an absolute wealth of knowledge. We chat about the history of the cider industry and how things have changed in the last decade. We also take a deep dive into what it's been like to start a cidery with a partner and what it's been like to include contract canning in their business plan. We also have a quick etymology aside about the root of the word brewing, but I promise that part doesn't last long. And now, without further ado, David from Shaxbury Cider. Dalgano, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. So let's start where we always start. Can you give me a little background about the company, how long you've been in business, where you're located, those sorts of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Shaxbury just turned 10 years old a month ago, um, and uh, we were started in the Middlebury, Vermont area. Um, myself and Alan Davis, um, we got going back when hard cider was all the rage in the industry, in the alcohol industry overall. So it was on the, on the heels of Woodchuck selling to the CNC group for north of $300 million. And, um, and the new wave of cideries were really starting to get going. Um, whether it was Downey Cider, Citizen Cider up here, um, and a whole bunch of others. And um, I'd been working for a few years for Sunrise Orchards, a, a large uh, wholesale orchard in Cornwall, Vermont. And that's really what piqued my interest in first in apples. And then, you know, from there, the idea of starting a cider company. <clears throat> um, and uh, Colin had been working at an e-recycling firm, was interested in the food and bev and agricultural industries in Vermont. Um, so off we went. Yeah. And so give me a little picture. You're distributing. Mm -hmm. And what does mm -hmm. the picture look like now? Yeah. So um, we are... Uh, based in Virgins, Vermont. Uh, so right at the start of the pandemic, we moved to a new facility. Um, this is formerly a, a space um, where Country Home Products was based. So uh, DR Power, you know, you might have a, an, a, an electric mower from them or something that was made in the place where we're making cider now. And um, we sell to uh, just over with just over 32 distributors, I think 32, 33 distributors representing 28 different states. We really concentrate our sales um, here in the Northeast and um, and then with a few other 
pockets like Texas is a really big market for us and California does well for us, uh, Chicago, um, but mostly up here in, in the Northeast. And on the topic of distributors, a lot of the people I've been talking to can't get the time of day from a distributor mm -hmm. these days. It's yeah. really crowded marketplace and cider's always been in the U.S. right on that edge. I mean, when I was working out in Iowa for years in the beer world, people called it cider beer still. Mm -hmm. So yeah. in New England, it's got a presence. Parts of California, it's, it was well known because of their mm -hmm. wine industry. But what was that process like? Are you still getting new distributors? Yeah, so that that was a for us, a, you know, a stroke of luck and and good timing. When we when we first started, again, the cider industry as a whole was growing 70-80% a year and naturally all of the distributors, the wholesalers were trying to build up their cider portfolios so that they had brands to sell in their territories. And um and so it was it was relatively easy for us um, in the early days to find distributors. And now it's not the case. Um, for instance, we um, lost or sort of amicably parted ways, but mostly lost our, our distributor in, in the DC area, DC and Maryland. Um, they were a wine distributor. We were selling a very small amount to them and <clears throat> they were being kind of transitioned into a larger distributor and just to, didn't make sense um, for either of us, uh, you know, and since then it's just like, well, sorry, there's really no one looking to add much cider to their portfolios at this point. You know, they've got their cider players. Maybe they have two, three, four, five different cideries. Um, and, uh, and until something kind of changes within the category as a whole, I don't think there's going to be, many i don't think there are going to be many wholesalers adding new brands um unless of course a particular brand just finds a way to kind of break out in the category and 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 you know and and takes a market share which always can happen um for instance you know original sin one of the longest standing cider companies around um wonderful outfit uh, run by one of the most wonderful people in the biz. And uh, he came out with a blackberry cider called Black Widow, <laughs> which is just, you know, just let's name a cider after one of the most deadly creatures on earth. And uh, turns out, mash hit. And so, you know, I'm sure if you know, and we're looking for a new wholesaler and he was like, look, I mean, look at our IRI data for... <laughs> Here, you know, look at how well the cider has done for the past two years. And, you know, maybe that maybe that opens up doors. But but broadly speaking, uh, we feel it, you know, there's just not a lot of movement on the wholesaler side um, right now. So if someone wanted to get into the cider world, because a lot of the people listening to this are either brewers already or thinking about doing it, what would mm -hmm. your advice be? Um, what would my advice? be well we spent many years trying to sell um still cider <laughs> with like a ton of complexity to it more more like a table wine and um and i think that 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 you can find like niches for that type of cider the cider that's charting the more wine path um and i think certainly if you're kind of 
presenting that into maybe the natural wine world or, or finding pot pockets like that, um, you know, you can really, you can build a name there, but by and large, we found we had a lot more success or just grew a lot when we were, you know, making cider that was in smaller formats with, um, lots of bubbles or as many bubbles as the TTB will allow us. <laughs> and, um, and then, um, you know, flavored ciders have certainly been, you know, are certainly a really big part of, of the overall breakdown. Um, you know, for us, the most exciting release we've come out with, uh, in the past three or four years is, is a, a cider that has yuzu and ginger in it. And it's, you know, when we first started, it's something that we could have never imagined making. We were all about cider just made from apples, but as we evolved and, um, and grew as a company, we we just decided that we wanted to be able to offer a cider to each cider drinker. And there's a lot of drinkers out there that want flavor. So I would encourage looking at flavor, looking at bubbles, um, and um, and maybe like a fast little secret if you're on the brewer side is breweries are some of the best selling cider customers out there. So if uh, you have a brew pub, and you know, or, or brewers that you're friends with, um, all breweries need to have a few things that are not beer for the people who are tagging along with their brewer buds and um, don't want to drink beer. And being that not beer is, uh, you know, is it can be a wonderful thing. <laughs> so some of our biggest customers um, are our brew pubs. So that's uh, just a little thing to tuck away fantastic and i have an article about the bubble thing that david referenced and i'll I'll throw that in the show notes it's it's fascinating yeah we were just so keen on you know we talked at length about putting our first two ciders into bags you know like the bag and bag and box like cool box um and, uh, and that's actually pretty common in England where they do sell a, a fair amount of still cider. Um, and, and, you know, people just look at us sideways. <laughs> We're yeah. like, the bubbles. Yeah. Like, or, or too many bubbles. Yeah. Which is, yep. Yeah. Yeah. DTB um, tells you exactly how many bubbles you can have. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the regulation really does sort of drive the innovation because, everyone would probably add more bubbles if uh if you, if it didn't kick you up into the champagne tax bracket um so so i have two things i particularly wanted to talk with you about one you started with a business partner from day one mm -hmm. and you're 10 years in mm -hmm. and you're still going <laughs> yeah. that makes you surprisingly rare i'm married to my business partner so that's a different <laughs> different circumstance but yeah what was that process like? And talk about the ins and outs, ups and downs of what that was that what that's been like for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um working with Colin has been one of the great, great pleasures of the best of the past decade for me. Um we've, you know, we've we've had our ups, we've had our downs, and and just having the the consistency and and just the the foundation that a great partnership provides has just made made it more manageable and more fun overall and um and so you know when we were when we were first starting 
before when we first were talking about cider together uh you know colin is a year or two older than i have two older brothers who who i revere and he's he's like two years older than my oldest brother and so um you know and uh my oldest brother was like a like a demigod in my youth you know like we just kind of followed what what he said what he did and so you know when it came to start a business um and to talk you know before we were on the same side of the table you know in that in that period of time where you're the founders and you're working out your partnership so we were across the table um from each other so to speak you know it was very nerve-wracking because i felt like i was negotiating with someone who's older than my oldest brother (laughs) um and uh so over Dollar Miller Draft Night, and you'll appreciate this, uh, Ricky, over over Dollar Miller Draft Night at Fire and Ice at the mm-hmm. Bull Moose Pub uh, in Middlebury, we uh, we shook on a 50-50 arrangement. So we basically just said, you know, we're going to we're going to put the same amount in. We're going to get paid the same. We're going to have the same amount. Of, and that's still that's still what exists today. You know, we're we're 50-50 partners and um, and it worked out it's worked out beautifully for us. And having that conversation was the mo- one of the most nerve wracking moments of my life. I can still feel the sweat in my armpits and like smell the BO and that, you know, I was like, just drank that dollar Miller draft way too quickly. And just sort of said like, I want to do this, but if I do this, I want it to be 50, 50. Otherwise I don't want to do it. Cause what I need to do is I need to, it needs to be 50, 50. It was, it sounded something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh man. Um, I did not know that story. I love that. Yeah. And so, uh, it worked. And I think part of what's made it work is, um, we're interested in different parts of the business. Like I, you know, I have a tool set here at my, at my house and I just, I don't know if I don't use it, I'm like completely okay with that. <laughs> you know, um, on the flip side, Colin has an engineer's mind and a new Englander's ingenuity and he loves making things and, um, he's got a great eye for design. He's got a great eye for product and, you know, he knows how to put together machines and make them work. And so, um, you know, amongst a whole slew of other things, but I, you know, I'm, I'm very happy on the sales side and the marketing side, um, the business side. And, um, so we kind of still to this day sort of occupy our, our domains and, um, get along happily. That's one of the things I hear a lot. And when I consult with people, the biggest piece of advice I give is if you're going to go into a business, you might have 19 awards, best IPA in New England, best IPA nationally. If you want to own and run the brewery, find a brewer. If you want to be the brewer, find someone to run it. Mm -hmm. Having those separate domains is so important. I think if there's one key to a happy partnership, is knowing what your domain is and feeling free to reach across and ask for help when you're stymied. But yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's, it's worked well for us. I mean, my, 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 my dad was a classic owner operator, like couldn't have had a partner, like forget about it. I mean, he sat me down. I went to visit you know, my folks in Kansas city, you know, as, as the partnership with Colin was taking form. I mean, he, 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 he sat me down at, at this bar at the steakhouse in Kansas city is one of our, 
one of our favorites and tried to talk me out of it. He was like, look, don't have a business partner. It's just going to be a headache and just, you know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. We're, we're different. <laughs> you and me, we're, the, we're similar, a lot of similarities, you know, you created me, but at the same time, we're different. And I know there's so many parts of this business that I don't want to do. I don't want to touch. I don't have to deal with. And so that, yeah, that's been a big part of what's um, made it, made it go. Um, so, yeah. yeah. My last boss before my boss was Kelly uh, used to say, there's only one type of ship that can't sail and it's a partnership. And he sounds very <laughs> much like your dad. Yeah. And yeah. Mark he, wouldn't he, have done yeah. well with a partner. Yeah. 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 He was, uh, you know, he was the, the third child, the spoiled child and, you know, just the classic got everything, you know, whatever. He just, he just was in every sense of the world, very happily running his own business and, um, and, uh, owned it, you know, it just, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked well for him to have a partner, but we are different that way. I'll make sure to share this directly with your dad. Yeah. So. The other thing I really wanted to talk about is you guys do a lot of co-packing. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. New, relatively new part of our overall business, but, um, you know, turns out take the least favorite part of the beverage supply chain and express a willingness to deal with it. And there's a lot of people who will, uh, come your way. So it's now a very quickly growing part of our business and, um, definitely something that's a very important strategic part of what we're doing now so if you'd be willing to you're the first major co-packer i've talked to on the podcast and mm -hmm. one define it has a couple we do a little bit of it but it has mm -hmm. a few different definitions are you guys a uh, soups to nuts um if you're comfortable what percentage of your business what your your income does it mm -hmm. represent and what are the biggest headaches associated with it mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, our, our primary offering is we, we, you know, we have a canning line and a pasteurizer. Um, we do have fermentation tanks, blending tanks. We do have, um, a setup for brewing. Um, but primarily our, our offering is we have canning line with pasteurizer. And so that's, that's our main service. Um, we don't do at this point, we don't handle recipe development. Um, and most of our clients are sending in, um, their, you know, sending in their, their liquid and we're putting it in cans and they take the cans away. Um, we do some picking and packing, you know, storage and picking and packing for customers. Um, so, you know, there, there's a variety of services, but again, the anchor of it is is canning with pasteurization. Um, and um, so we really started it in earnest, you know, Q2 of 22. So it's still pretty new. This year, I think it'll end up being about a third of our total revenue. Um, so it's a not insignificant portion. And some of the reasons why we love it, um, you know, it really helps with cash flow because we're, for instance, we're packing for a bunch of non-alcoholic products um, and products that are geared toward, you know, their NA cocktails or, or, or that kind of thing. So our canning line was slammed 
in December, January, February, you know, in Q1 when CIDR is at its slowest. And so we can really, you know, round out our, our seasonal cyclical cycle. Um, that was, uh, I think I just said that same word three different times. <laughs> um, and, uh, we can, um, so yeah, so from a cash flow perspective, it's great. Um, we, I, I like working with other beverage producers. It's just fun to be kind of in the trenches with, um, with other companies and seeing what they're making and kind of being a part of their success. Um, or people kind of in the know be like, Hey, I had a Halyard beer and I saw it's made by you. And they're like, high five. And it's, it's just kind of neat. Cause if, you know, if Halyard's winning, then we're winning and we're happy. Um, and uh, so it kind of gives you more, more things to cheer for. And then at the same time, you know, our sort of sales and marketing for it, it just grows organically. Like we don't have to do anything, just kind of sit there and just like the business comes to us, which is, has never been the case for selling hard cider. You know, like when you're on the marketing side with your own brand, you're like, you, you got to go get the business. So um, so that part's pretty cool too. Um, and it just feels like there's an unending number of businesses that want the service of putting their liquid into cans. And, um, and so again, that like, whereas in the, on the cider side, the, the category is not really growing and hasn't for a while. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough sell in its own way. Um, so it's just a nice compliment and it, yeah, really rounds out our business and gives it, um, a nice kind of foundation to work from. Um, some of the challenges, I mean, like anything, uh, uh, you know, um, I know from our, the perspective of our seller, like our seller staff, the, the two folks that, you know, are basically handling the product till it gets in the canning line. Um, they're dealing with a ton of different products, different, you know, ingredients, different, uh, formulas. And, you know, I don't know exactly what the total number of like actual things we're going to put into cans this year, but, but it's a lot and it's a lot more than we ever did when we were just making, you know, six different ciders or whatever. So, you know, with that, it's like, okay, Oh, frozen ingredient, you know, this shows up, you know, on the dock, the day is supposed to begin. And it's like all frozen into major chunks and then it's like okay well what are we doing you know are we just delaying canning or you know what and so just just kind of um the uh the the handling of um the the raw ingredients is just always a challenge um and something that we're learning and getting better at and um creating better systems for um and then uh you know by and large all of our customers have been great. You know, we've, we've been able to work with really awesome companies, um, and, uh, you know, more or less, you know, getting along there. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I had to, I had 6,000 gallons of cider at my facility and I don't make cider as you may recall <laughs> that, yeah. um, all got set outside. It came in the loading dock. Then it got set outside. Then it went to minus 12 degrees. And then he wanted it in cans five days later. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't we don't have warming jackets for 2000 gallons. So I, I yeah. appreciate that challenge. 
Um, so it's what form is this showing? Is it a lot of IBC totes? What's the product coming in? Tanker trucks? All of the above. Yeah. You you name it. You know, if it holds liquid and moves, um, we're dealing with it. <laughs> I yeah. IBCs, we get we get the the bladders, line, you know, with the plywood with the bladder inside. We get the tanker trucks. We get uh lot there we have if anyone needs any five gallon buckets i mean we got five gallon buckets for just days and days and days because uh, when we are blending in-house you know a lot of the ingredients come in that because you know our our niche in the co-packing world is like our our minimum order quantity is relatively small so you know we're working with companies that often have you know are working with like really whole ingredients or this or that and you know it's just um so there's just a, yeah, if, if, it, if it can hold, it's food grade and holds, holds liquid, we're, we're probably handling, you know, we probably have a bunch of them in our facility. Yeah. Jerry cans. Those are, those are the one I, I can't stand. It's what the, is it? jerry cans. They're, uh, they're food yeah. grade. They're about 15 gallons. Though mm. so I'm strong enough to pick them up, but other people on my team are not. That's the one yeah. thing that I'm refusing now. Five gallon buckets. Yeah. Yes. IBC totes, rums. But you have to pour them by hand, and yeah. they're like 150 yeah. pounds a piece. It's Oof. a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, it's too much. Too much. Uh, they're great for maple sap, though. Just you know, yeah. word to the wise. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, that's that's fascinating. So, what resources do you do you think someone coming into the industry now, August 2023? What resources would you point people towards if they're thinking about coming into the alcohol world? Resources in the sense of like, what, what, what do you mean? Books, movie, YouTube, talking to other people. What, what, because you, you get to answer the question in a second of what you wish you had known 10 years ago, but 2013 is very different from 2023. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. 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 Uh, just yeah, it's funny. As soon as you said that, like SBA loans just keep coming into my head as the answer, which is not very interesting, but they are a great little thing to know about. I mean, um, you know, they tend to the SBA back loans will work for high risk businesses basically, um, and they tend to be more favorable interest rates. Although now, you know, interest rates are certainly not as attractive now as they were back when we first started. Um, but um, on you know are we talking cider or just alcohol alcohol in general and sba loan is a great example we didn't know about them until really the move to the new building and they Mm -hmm. were absolute game changers for us being able to say you know and also i love that you are forced to hand them paperwork that is different from the paperwork you hand to a bank and so (laughs) What does yep. your next five and 30 years look like? I don't know what my next 30 years look like, oh. bank, but like oh. the SBA is like, give me the, give me a year, give me five years. And it's, if if you were on the business side yeah. of alcohol, yeah. just the, the rigor of filling out those documents has been huge. And that's a great answer. So yeah. yeah. Someone who wants to, they want to brew something for a living. What resources, yeah. what resources are you still looking for? Um. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think um, you know all all the there's uh, in, no matter which segment of alcohol you're in, there's there's going to be a, a body of literature, and being familiar with that, I think, is just you know table stakes. Like no, 
what the books are and and read them um you know insider there's like probably at least a half dozen or a dozen like just great books that go f- give you the background on cider you know in the world cider domestically and apples and just kind of how it all works um i um you know i came into cider from the agricultural side from the orchard side which i found to be very useful because it is an agricultural product and having a really just intuitive understanding of how the fruit works and where the fruit come comes from and how it's grown and all of that like has really made the um the processing side just in some ways easier or just it just like makes sense in a way um I'm not sure. I, you know, on the beer side, it's it's a little bit more removed, I think, from the agricultural process. I mean, maybe with the exception of hops, but but the you know, but the but the malt side is, you know, it's 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 a little more of a commodity, I would say. Um, so maybe that's not as important there. Um, and and then the other thing I would really encourage is just um, talking to as many people as possible who are on, we're at the end of the chain. So you're, whether they're a retailer, a bartender, a bar, you know, a restaurant owner, whatever, but the people who like are selling it to the customer that's then consuming it, um, you rely heavily on our whole sales team who's, you know, kind of working very closely with those people and thus has they have like a really you know great understanding of where the market is and where the market's going and um and like what's working and why and i think you can just never think too much about that um i think maybe something that was a bit of a trap for us for the first four or five years is you know we made cider that we loved and um and we uh, we still make cider that we love and also we make cider that really meets the cider drinker where the cider drinker is. Um, and again, depending on the scale of business you want to be and, you know, and all of that, it, it, you, you need to really think about what your consumer's doing. And we didn't do enough of that. I don't think in the early days, um, we were trying to kind of, you know, move to the space where we were hoping the industry was going to go. But the reality is American cider never mimicked what European cider has done in the in the in the higher volume parts of the cider industry. So it was just kind of a miss in a certain sense. Um, so I think, you know, really familiarizing yourself with the like latest and greatest of all of the data, whether it's just talking to people or, or also looking at the actual data from Nielsen or IRI um, to really kind of know what's working and why. And and kind of mix that with what you want to make and what you enjoy. Um, I think that um, you, yeah, just can't spend enough time thinking about the the end customer. That's fantastic. Are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. Okay. What are you drinking if you're not drinking your own product? What's your go-to right now? Ice coffee. <laughs> That's fine. I'm a dad of dad of three here, so a lot of caffeine keeps the engine running. <laughs> um, I'm also drinking a lot of a lot of Frankie on the alcohol side. <laughs> I just bought a 12 pack of of Frankie. It's been you know I love seeing that new product from Zero Gravity. 
hit shelves and I just, you know, it's just summer, summer in a box. So what's the biggest disaster you've had in the last 10 years? The biggest disaster in the last 10 years. Uh, gosh, well, one of the biggest challenges was we, we signed, uh, the lease for our new facility and the end, you know, fall of 19, based on our numbers and our growth from 17, 18 and 19 and the anticipated growth for 2021 and 22. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we had two leases and, you know, all of the loans to bring our production in house where we were co-packing our core products, uh, with, uh, with Woodchuck, with, um, Vermont, I forget the name of the, um, co-packing side of Woodchuck, but, you know, we made our specialty stuff and they made our core stuff. And that would have, been, that was, that would have been an amazing business model to navigate COVID. <laughs> And instead we were carrying, you know, $2 million of debt to finance our new facility that, um, you know, took a lot longer to kind of get to where it is now, which is that, you know, we're cranking and we're, we're, you know, we're, uh, we need to, we need to do more build out and grow more to keep up with, uh, with the amount of volume we can put through the facility. But, you know, that two year delay was not, not a part of the original business, uh, cycle. And I, I think safe to say without support from government loans and other things, um, you know, PPP and all of that, like, I don't think we'd be here today. So, yeah. What do you, would you be doing if you weren't making cider? It's a good question. Um, well, before I stumbled upon a life in Vermont, I was doing basically political consulting in New York city, um, you know, wearing a suit to work every day. And, um, so I'd probably be living somewhere in New York and wearing a suit and, you know, doing something either related to consulting or political consulting, business consulting or political consulting. No one has actually picked my personal hell yet. Good work, David. What's your favorite thing you've ever brewed? Well, first of all, Ricky, we don't do a lot of brewing at Shaxbury Cider. You know, we do a lot of fermenting. So. Brew means to cause something to bubble. Really? I thought yeah. brewing means to heat up. Brown means to involve heat. Brown means to come to a bubble, which originally probably meant fermentation and is later applied to adding heat to things. It's a Proto-Indo-European sure. thing. I'll link, uh, I'll link to the article discussing it below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I see you working. I see you working. Favorite thing ever. Oh, boy. Gosh. I think probably Arlo. My favorite thing you've ever made. I. It's our longest standing cider, and I think yeah. with reason. No, it's just, it's a really, it's just a really random thing in, in a certain sense. Like, ooh, why would you put a bass cider with a Mont cider in the same can? Like that, like logistically just makes zero sense. And yet it's such a delicious beverage and it's, it's bone dry. It's wild fermented. It's unfiltered. It's just, you know, it's, but it's not, it's not like too precious. It's just, um. I love the branding, the name story, um, everything about it. So yeah, I mean, Arlo, it's, it's stood the test of time. It's still 
probably the number one Shaxbury I've ever drank. And that still, like, if I went down to my fridge right now, it's probably most of what's in it. <laughs> what keeps you going on the really tough days? Um, on the really tough days, I think it's a mix of two things. We have an, we have a, an amazing team. So I think that's where Colin comes in as, you know, my longstanding business partner and just someone to lean on when, when it's really tough. Um, but also just our crew overall right now is like better than it's ever been, I think. And just like a great team and really dynamic. And, um, so there's that part of it. And then also there's the part of that's kind of special to the food and bev industry where, you know, we get to go somewhere fun and eat and drink and, you know, know the people behind the bar and all that. So I think those experiences and, you know, whether it's just swinging by two brothers tavern in Middlebury, you know, where we're on draft and saying hi to Beal or, or American flatbread in Middlebury, or it's, you know, a grander, you know, um, event like you know i'm going to an outstanding in the field next week and uh, outside of cleveland and you know it's going to be this incredible like 300 person you know dinner seven course dinner in the middle of a garlic farm <laughs> it's like you know pulling on those memories that are just really special um kind of remind you why you know we're down here in the trenches uh looking at whatever that problem is that day, you know, a bunch of cider that's, you know, going down the drain or whatever. And last question. What's one piece of advice you would have given yourself 10 years ago? Every time you think you've raised enough money, multiply it by two. Or maybe three, at least two. David, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. That. Thank you, Ricky. Talk to you soon. Yep. My guest today was David from Shaxbury Cider. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to professionalbrewers.com for more amazing content to help you on your professional brewing journey. And for exclusive content, as well as the opportunity to ask questions of upcoming guests, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash professional brewers podcast. Your support makes this show possible. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.